0: This is Meditate and Conversate, a podcast for those invested in wellness and enlightenment. Interviews with experts in their fields and meditations that put theory into practice. Hosted by former news anchor, trauma-sensitive yoga teacher, and designated experienced registered yoga teacher, 500 hour, Lindsay Barusi. Today, we talk with Leah Longcar, This is one of the most important yoga voices of our generation, and one that often flies under the radar. She balances her international teaching and online presence with family life and introspection for her own yogic path, a true role model. Her time studying in India with Sachitananda, K. Pattabhi Joyce, Iyengar, Himalayan mountain yogis and Tibetan Buddhists, informs her individualized approach to teaching. Leia is part of a PhD project in psychology in Norway, where she teaches yoga, meditation, and started one of the first yoga studios. She hosts retreats and trainings in her home country of Croatia, where I first met and studied under her in 2017. And her studies of psychology, anthropology, and philosophy are a perfect alchemy for brilliant and much needed perspective, which she shares generously with us today hear what it was like to study under well-known teachers we no longer have access to, how modern life enriches her understanding of her path, and why you shouldn't wait to live your life fully. Here's my conversation with Leia as she joins us from Norway this week. When I have had the pleasure of studying with you, I think some of my favorite times learning were in our philosophical chats. That's really a nice, sweet spot for you because you're a very deep thinker. Uh, some of the chats were about the sutras, others about like ethics of, of sex or questions about the universe and our place in it. Did you always have this sort of existential perspective in, and curiosity?
1: I did. Uh, I remember when I was still um, a young kid in the school, I was studied. I've stu- i I'd been studying existentialist and uh, I wrote uh, a thesis on uh, on Franz Kafka, which is one of the the existentialists, you know, of the previous century. So it has always been a very intriguing question. Why are we here? Who are we? What's the meaning of life? Um, all these questions have been always popping up into my mind since my childhood. And uh, yoga came as a natural um, kind of inquiry. And And once I encountered yoga for the first time, Um, I found the same questions. This was the only path where it kind of uh, satisfied me in the level of uh, questioning and the level of thinking and how far they were willing to go. Uh, I think yogis are the ones who were going the furthest. Uh, Existentialists usually just sit on the chair and take a nice pipe smoke, while yogis, they've done the work.
0: Yeah, they have really put like the the theory into practice, right? They're they're doing the things that they need to do to get closer to those answers. Your path has been a long one. I think you said you've been practicing since the 80s. And is that right? Yes, correct, yeah. And so you've studied with so many of these important knowledge vessels that um, mentors that us nowadays, we only get to read about in books or see in old videos. What mentors helped illuminate your path the most? I feel that
1: kind of cooperated. Like Swami Sachidananda from Integral Yoga, he actually said, Go to Patabi Joyce. So it's almost like a little conspiracy behind uh, that. It's almost kind of cooperation from Integral Yoga and Swami Sachidananda. It was this great illuminative raja yoga or philosophy of yoga or psychology of yoga if you wanted, and then uh, it's almost like he spotted that I have this good connection with the body mind and but I was kind of loose and not very disciplined so I went to Patavi Joyce as he recommended and this is where I got all the discipline and and uh, the structure in the practice so I feel that all of these teachers have brought something into the alchemy of my own uh, self-discovery. Um, and I feel very blessed that I was able to live in the time when they were still very much uh, uh, alive and and teaching. So it's truly a blessing.
0: Were there any uh, standout moments or stories that you have from working with any of those more recognizable names that we only read about now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and, uh, and yes, um, there have been really mystical moments of encounter with uh, some of those teachers. Um, and there have been very strong encounters with teachers you will never hear about, which were just yogis from the caves that I came across on my journeys or staying in... Uh, in high mountain areas or in the foothills of Himalayas. Um, So those who got the name, they got the right charisma to make the movement, uh, which has really been a huge tsunami towards the whole of the world, like in Ashtanga yoga Um, meeting for the first time. For example, Swami Sachidananda was extraordinary experience. Basically, I had very little knowledge. Um, about him or I actually never met him, but I met the group of people who've been traveling in India um, And who were in in his ashram. So with that group of people I joined to some it was a, like a little event of opening of the school and There was a lot of swamis who came there in India. That's uh, usually a very big event when the school is opening It's usually some charity involved and a lot of swamis and gurus and yogis are present. Um, It's a good PR time for many of them. And for me, I was not unfamiliar with people in orange robes or uh, gurus and teachers. It was quite ordinary and every day in India, you have that kind of uh, uh, access to many teachers. So it's not this big, huge wave of emotion if you see a person who is a monk and then a lot of monks were coming in and suddenly um, Swami Satchidananda started to walk towards me and pass by me and I had no idea who he was but I got this um, very strong uh, physical reaction of tremble of uh, almost like excitement of kind of finding a a lost relative or something like that some very strong familiar feeling oh here you are that kind of feeling i had not no idea who he was but i just felt that urge to come close to him and that was extremely appropriate in the setting where i was because it was a lot of indians there and you are not approaching uh, especially as a western woman without knowledge of protocol uh, to a guru but I just pushed my way towards him and people were stopping me and telling me what's wrong with you woman. So it was really um, a mix of embarrassment for what my body and my, my mind is doing according to the conventions, how you're supposed to act in these situations and this unbelievable urge just to come close to him. So I somehow came close to him and uh, uh, bowed to him and I had this a strong feeling of recognition I had no idea who this old uh, sweet man was but I had a strong feeling of recognition and that feeling has been going on for a long time uh, while I was in India and it happened so I became very close to him in that journey so he asked for me and I had opportunity to speak with him one on one and he gave me blessings and also he initiated me and he hasn't been initiated anyone for 20 years. So other monks took that as a sign and they also stand in the queue quickly to get the initiation in that period. That was a period of like uh, two months uh, after I met him. So something really powerful happened at that moment and it has really changed the course of my life uh, in many ways. And it's not that I have been uh, a devotee and uh, visiting. Yes, of course I have been in America and visit visited uh, yoga will but um i haven't been like bhakti devotee type to completely surrender to the guru and you know how in this um, communities this function i was more of an outsider being always uh, but i got this really really strong encounter that has empowered my yoga practice and definitely my path and uh, um, Feeling of that, uh, yes, this is this is the right thing for me. That's my life.
0: You had talked about being in in the Himalayas and with some of these lesser known or, or never known yogis. You wanted to stay with these yogis. I remember you telling me you thought you wanted to live this solitary life, and obviously you've chosen to be a, a yogi in the modern world. You. Uh, have studied all these different disciplines, like psychology, and um, you you have two teenage teenagers now. That's right.. Yes, yes. Um so and that brings challenges on the yoga path. And you've talked about being the mom of teenage boys as intense. What do you mean by that? and and how is this sort of time and space in your life shaping your growth now? yeah,
1: mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a very interesting question and sometimes i complain to myself or let's say to universe uh, like why am i not still there in himalayas because that was what i'm supposed to do so that was a kind of a uh always um a deeper urge for solitude and going the full path that was the idea i had if you want to be because i read all these books like uh, uh, for example Mircea Eliade that is describing the yogi path and you have to be twice born you have to die to yourself to the self that you know with all the citta virtis, with all the mental modifications to be reborn into the path of yoga or become a yogi uh, really means full liberation so uh, at a very young age that was my aim I gonna go for it 100% full liberation and it's not because I felt the world was bad place to be But at an early age, I felt that um, that feeling of not fully belonging to the mechanics of the world. For some people, it works really, really well and they're happy. But for me, it didn't bring the happiness, the type of happiness I was looking for, because I had a taste of altered states of consciousness. So it was really hard to go back to the mechanical kind of world. And it was not very appealing for me to be um, either... Uh, you know having a like normal life normal job family children it was not in my radar at that time so i really went to to india on a search and to asia and i lived there for some time i lived in india for over a year at my first visit there so it was really a search for i'm looking for the teacher to show me how to do it i'm ready okay but the truth is I never found someone who gave me the formula so i was looking around i was talking with a lot of people i stayed with many teachers i've learned a lot and of course as in the retrospective one knows and from yoga scriptures it is a journey it's not it's not going to happen overnight there is no quick uh, way to it it's a process um and in that process uh, once as you said i went to um, it was Tirumanamalai, Tiruma and it's up in the mountains and I remember one skinny skinny yogi which supposed, supposedly he didn't be he not been eating for 11 years uh, he said to me that you you go home uh, you have different path um, you cannot stay in the cave because you know there were some caves there that you can just occupy and stay so um, I felt that kind of a crossroad, are you going to stay here? Or are you going to go back and see what happens and listen to that advice? And I did. And, um, it was not because of the advice, but it was this inner urge to fulfill probably something that I'm supposed to fulfill in this lifetime. And yes, of course, my life happened. I kind of went full on into samsara. Um, I have two beautiful boys that are teenagers now, and with this a lot of challenges because children today and teenagers especially, I feel that they're exposed to a different kind of reality and, um, and stimulus than we have been maybe 20, 30 years ago because of this switch to the digi- digital generation and uh, they're bombarded with impression and they're bombarded with this uh, Um, different kind of uh, narrative uh, about what life is about what was the meaning of life it's very different it depends what comes in your uh, you know algorithms and uh, if you click on in a few things that are not according to your soul search you get really really quickly lost because that's the window into the world so navigating today as a single mom with uh, two very strong boys it brought my practice much much deeper because I had to do a deep dive and a deeper search not only in the sense of uh, where am I and about my enlightenment but actually you get this a uh, huge uh, urge of compassion for enlightenment of the world um, in one way I just had a chat with a very good uh, yogi a friend of mine living in south of Spain his name is Javi he's one of those yogis that you don't hear much about but he's also uh, very much uh, enlightened in many ways we just talked about how wonderful it was to live in 80s and 90s and teach at that time and learn at that time because learning process was very authentic you are at the teacher's feet and you learn while students today they learn from this digital a uh, quick uh, you know spotlight it's like not real integrative teaching it's more like piece and pieces like it's almost like a cubistic picture or futuristic kind of picture um there is little integration and but on the other hand we just made the joke like but it's not over we cannot say oh we lived a good life so whatever happens because if you have any doubts about what's after life, and you think if there is a slightly chance that you are coming back, that means maybe in 200 years we are back again in some kind of meta reality futuristic uh, generation that is completely feels like it they're gonna be lost if they lose this inner connection with themselves and with people. And then Yogi's gonna have in 200 years time, even greater job. So. It almost feels like now in the age that we are living in, which is called, according to yoga tradition, Kali Yuga, the age of deception, um, and where a, a lot of stra- strong forces are in, a, in a yeah, in confrontation. It's almost. A greater urge than ever to continue with the yoga path and transmit it in a good way to the generation that is coming and generation that will be coming because yoga has survived over several thousand years it's gonna survive a couple of more hundred of years uh, but it's gonna be adapted to the generations with, that we are living in so I'm looking for the right formula how to transmit this let's say to my boys teenagers or to young people of today? What are the right clues? How do I um, enter this connection, this soul connection with another person, young person of today? So that's kind of a mission that not only me, but I'm talking with other yogis. We're trying to reach to the next generation. And how do we do that? Because in all the days, you would be traveled to, to the teacher. Now teachers are running after students. So it has kind of swapped the whole concept so and yoga is adapting so let's see how this will unfold but we have to be super um, how to say patient loving compassionate and definitely patient to reach the hearts of the generations that are coming
0: and i totally agree yoga has always been needed in the philosophy but now more than ever i think the message is just the antidote for everything that we are seeing going on and and to really take that pratyahara and that inward look and, and to find stillness and in, in inside force. So I love that. And actually, one of my questions for you was about the fact that you've seen yoga change. And what do you think is most important for a new generation of teachers to be mindful of? Because mm-hmm. I, see, I see a lot of people fall into that where they think it's all about the pose or the Instagram or, or, or things mm-hmm. that might be just a, a little bit more surfaceful than what I think yoga is about
1: surface surface will never survive because it's always going to be hit with a lot of waves and storms Uh, what will survive is what is under the surface and what is under the surface will maybe not be so accessible and so visible because yoga has never reached really into the masses in the dimension that today but my trust is that and my faith is that although some people will be touched on the surface level with the pose something deeper will be propelled anyway into their uh, body mind system so whoever tries a little bit of pose here and there some switch in the perception might happen and then they will be searching for deeper so it has never been so popular like now these days yoga so we cannot expect that everybody that gonna accelerate the, you know, the self uh, development. Uh, On the reverse, it's kind of people get satisfied with the surface level and they don't dig deeper. There is milieu has been like mainstream, but I trust that it has its function for the future generations, that people will get fed up of the surface and they will be looking for deeper because they will be at some point touched with the pose they stay a little bit longer and take one that little deeper breath and something will happen when the perceptions switch so i trust that yoga in that sense will continue to um, connect people within themselves and with each other but uh, it's just a distraction everything that's going on on the surface level so yoga
0: is not an exception to that you say that the yoga practice only gets better with time. And oh, yes, I just wondered, um, how does it get better?
1: Well, for Instagram people, I can say it gets better with poses as well. <laughs> so if you're worried that your yoga is not gonna be that good, then you just um, check out yogis who've been. Uh, there for a long time look for their instagram and you will see that they are doing poses much better than 20 years ago Um, so even on the pose level something happens with the body that the body becomes yoga and um, it really feels home Uh, in my own body no matter uh, of the changes of uh, that comes with the age you still feel Um, I don't know 28 kind of in the body you don't have the same kind of let's say misalignments or uh, troubles that people are complaining about in my age so it really 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 works but it's sad that you have to wait that long I mean start as early as possible to avoid many things that naturally would come Uh, with unhealthy lifestyle it's totally avoidable with a healthy diet and especially mindful deep slow yoga without stress competition etc it's just magical it really keeps your body super healthy and I was thinking like uh, many thousands years ago they didn't have uh, you know uh, medical aid and help like we have today so they really have to figure out how do I take care of this vehicle to sustain myself uh that i'm healthy both mentally and physically as long as possible so i can not enjoy only life but have that deep dive and uh, enlightening uh during one lifetime hopefully so the technology for yogis was really there not to keep the body beautiful or uh, not even healthy but to keep it uh fit for strong Uh, transformational inner processes that uh, kundalini if you want to call it or enlightening uh, changes are uh, capable of doing to your body, if not what happens we read this in uh, many saints have uh, discovered uh, strong forces of kundalini and enlightening but it has damaged the nerve system or the body they say that the impact of the powerful energy is so strong that your body if it's not fit um it can actually you know damage you in some ways so that's why yogi is really really if you if you have any ambition to get enlightened put it that way it's good to keep body very very fit yeah and um, uh, what changes is you don't have to practice two three hours on a mat that's what we did in uh, 80s so we've been practicing like two or three or two sessions a day and then you do pranayama 45 minutes and then you do meditation one hour 60 minutes uh what happens with time and age you can access that state of mind or that alignment in the body in in much shorter time so it's almost like your body knows and you activate the system and you are there for maybe 10 minutes 20 minutes and you get the same effect it's just magical i know it's hard to believe but that's how it works you don't have to do the full primary series you just do two, three, four poses and your body just knows. Yeah. It's kind of a reset.
0: Where do you look to, to cultivate growth? You had talked about maybe this global community of, of shamans and yogis, um, for, for wisdom or nature. Uh, where are some of the most important places that you look to for your own personal growth right now on your path?
1: Definitely integration. You are into something here when you mention shamanism, when you mention uh, spiritual or body-mind practices from different cultures, because every culture has learned or brought up some zest, some special flavor. Uh, And it's not for entertainment of body-mind and trying everything, but really mindfully pick those um, tools that are necessary for certain times. Like yoga is very much, if you look at from the dualistic Patanjali perspective about discipline and it's very structured and it's very kind of clean cut. Uh, Shamanism is a chaotic state and it brings a lot of like emotional uh, layers and uh, deep, uh, let's say, archetypical layers, archetypes, um, more, let's say, deep depth psychology. Um, It also deals well with, uh, uh, let's say, Mental health of the people. Um, Carl Jung is one psychi- psychologist, a psychiatrist of uh, earlier 19th, uh, 20th century, who said that yoga is not for everyone because you need to be mentally quiet prepared, and we are living in a time where there is a lot of uh, different, uh, yeah, suffering, mental suffering. We talk about depression, we talk about schizophrenia, we can talk about many different nuances uh, of uh, trauma, of different um, uh, sufferings that people are going through and then shamanism really works, community really works, Uh, sangha, togetherness, um, we are missing that, we are missing that a lot these days especially after the Covid people kind of isolated in their little bubbles and we are approaching to society that is more divided than united in many uh many places so it's so important for that primer fit or primary health to go back to those ancient practicing and and they're happening like cacao rituals matcha rituals tea ceremonies people feel intuitively that these kind of traditions or these kind of practices find their new, uh, new life again in the time that you are living in. So I believe yoga is integrating and I see people are integrating drumming and yoga and tea rituals, it's all kind of coming together for the new generation.
0: One of the most beautiful reminders that I've gotten from you recently is the importance of living life fully and not waiting for the right moment.
1: People postpone their happiness they postponing it to the right moment that's going to be somewhere in the future when they clean up the mess but mess is going to always come it's like a wave so we are never going to be less messy we're always going to be messy as long as we have life because we have so many threads connected to our past to our ancestors to the world to the uh, environment like the mess is always going to be there so Instead of cleaning it up and trying to organize the mess, we just have to, at some point, accept it and just live fully our life together with that mess. It's uh, it's almost like not avo- avoiding your own shadow because shadow is there as, as you walk. It's just behind you all the time. So that's the non-dual approach that you embrace all your demons, all your you know, all those creatures that nobody wants. um, It is said that Shiva welcomed all of them. Shiva is the God of, you know, destruction uh, or the energy of destruction. So he destroys to clear the path for the new. And he welcomes all of these gumbling creatures that no one wants. He said, welcome all, you're all part of me. So we are all um, how to say both light and shadow and instead of fighting because that fight is like we can live our life fighting it fighting it fighting it integrating it finding space for our shadows finding space for our mess Um, it doesn't mean resign and say oh okay it's messy it's always gonna be but it's like okay i can see this mess now i'm gonna deal with it but in that process i'm not gonna accept suffering it could be painful but why suffer yeah so it's really about accepting that it's never going to come that day that one day you know we're going to be happy that is already now the enlightenment is already in this moment we are already enlightened we just have to kind of remember that And for that, we need to trick our mind. And meditation, this is what it does. It doesn't bring you to enlightenment, but it tries to trick your mind so that the mind can, for just for a moment at least, um, fall to kind of rest. And in that moment, we are able to see. And once you see that, there is no way back. There is no game anymore of shadow and light. You know
0: it's both of them all the time within you. So beautifully put. Uh, I think your message is just so important, all the ways that you think and and um, what you give to this world. How can people connect with you or learn from you further right now?
1: I mean, I'm uh, available through my webpage, of course. I have a web page like everybody else. And I have Instagram, which I'm not updating that often.
0: Me but, either. Uh, here I'm and there. Totally failing at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there are some uh, quotes or things that I share. When I share, I really share from the heart. I have something actually to say that day. Um, And of course I teach in Norway, um, where I teach in Zenit yoga studio in Trondheim, and I teach in Croatia every summer, retreats and teacher trainings. So I have kind of divided my life into different uh, areas. And one of them most important is yoga. And all the times spare time I have, I dedicate to people and uh, the mission of bringing yoga to the next generation.
0: For more with Leia and details on her 300-hour trainings, which I'm also a part of, visit samvidyoga.com. Her Dalmatian Island retreats are also noted there. I urge you to look more deeply into her offerings. Not only has her example in teaching informed my overall yogic journey, But each day I start with an exercise she prescribed. Before I look at my phone or go about meaningless tasks, I take a few moments to appreciate the natural beauty of a new day, the people around me, the sights and sounds of possibility. And it's changed how I experience life. Thank you for joining us and see you in two weeks.